you know, just look at your inbox. Look at what you're getting in ads and you're going to see a lot of uncertainty and unprecedented and, you know, navigating. And these words that have now taken on this other kind of level of meaning and how can you start to break past that sort of jargon and speak to, uh, you know, speak to it in a way that that's authentic to you and have people walk away thinking, oh, wow, man, during this time of uncertainty, I really want to be with them. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. One of the big takeaways from this coronavirus crisis has been the notion of acceleration. The virus and our response to it have accelerated and amplified many existing trends and dynamics in our society. Today's conversation digs into how these dynamics are playing out in marketing. There's an instinct to batten down the hatches and cut everything extraneous in a crisis, hoard cash at all costs. Historically, however, the data show that pulling back on marketing during a recession or depression is not a good strategy. So I'm excited to talk about this today with two of my favorite thinkers on all things brand. Sean Benton is creative director and Kevin Cohen is strategy director at Partners Creative, a Missoula creative agency that punches well above its weight class. Working with top flight international firms like Deloitte and Montana mainstays like Discovery Ski Area. Sean and Kevin and their colleagues are out with a compelling piece of thought leadership, offering some insightful and actionable ideas on how brands can rise to this unique occasion. What they have to say has implications for all brands of all sizes, as well as anyone trying to make sense of what we see in the marketplace. So let's get into it with Sean and Kevin right now. All right, so we're here today with Sean Benton, Kevin Cohane from Partners Creative. Fellas, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Justin. Yeah, good to be here. Absolutely. So you two are, first of all, just some of my favorite people in general, but particularly in the marketing realm and particularly in the branding realm, which is kind of my home as an academic. So I'm especially excited for this conversation. This is a unique time for brands. We're we're starting to emerge from the acute portion of the crisis, at least we we sort of hope so. Um, But it's an interesting time for companies to be thinking about how they're spending uh, on everything in a lot of ways, marketing in particular, and we're going to talk about that. But um, yeah, partners and the two of you, you guys are out with an interesting piece of thought leadership, making the case for your brand, especially now. Uh, Sean, tell us about this sort of impetus to, to be thought leaders in this moment. Yeah, it, you know, we're, we're just seeing a, a real mix of reactions from brands and they're looking to find, kind of like you talked about, their footing amid the recession, but also I think the tone of how you have to speak um, right now during COVID-19. And, you know, one of those reactions has been this sort of curl up in the ball mentality. Um, you know, we want to cut discretionary spending and mm-hmm. we want to cut marketing and branding. And and I think there are absolutely times when that's, you know, totally the right thing to do and, and you have to do that. And it's the responsible thing to do as a business owner. You know, but but there's a lot of compelling evidence out there that maintaining or increasing spending, you're going to be able to recover faster. You're going to come out of a recession sooner. And actually, you might even be able to gain market share. And so kind of with that in mind, we looked at creating this uh, this 
SlideShare DAC, this DAC, and making it pretty broadly available to anybody who wants it, but certainly to our clients, um, with the idea that CMOs and marketers could use parts and pieces of it to make their case. You know, as, you, as you're starting to have these discussions internally about where do we cut spending, how do we shift uh, our funding from maybe one kind of media to another, um, you know, this might be helpful to those folks. And so we looked at that and we looked at it, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it right out of the gate, Justin, we looked at it from a couple angles. Um, and, uh, and one angle that we started with, um, which I think Kevin maybe ought to talk through a little bit is, is the, is the data side of that angle, kind of the research and the background, um, and, and looking back in time. Yeah. Let's bring Kevin in here. So yeah, you kind of can speak to, to the, uh, to the, to the research, the data and sort of the historical perspective. A lot of this comes out of the, the work done by Mark Ritson and historically going back way back to Roland Bale, you know, in, in, in depression years, talk about kind of what we know about spending on marketing during recessions, depressions, et cetera. Well, what's really interesting about it is that it's, it's completely counterintuitive. And yet through a number of recessions, academic research of the data has shown that um, you can actually spend your way out of recession, which sounds a little bit crazy. But what was interesting is the original study was done by Vale in 1927, post-depression, and he actually looked at um, a bunch of companies that actually increased their spending in terms of advertising. He looked at companies that decreased their advertising and then people who did no advertising at all. And what was really interesting about it is that the firms that increased their advertising spend in the three or four years as the uh, depression ended, they accelerated their market share by something on the order of 20 or 25 percent over a period of two or three years. And that advantage um, flattened out eventually, but it put them on really strong footing as they emerged. The, the next thing that was really interesting is um, companies that decreased their advertising spend they actually lost um, between you know five ten percent of their market share and really struggled to recover it. Um, and the kind of outlier from a data point were the people that didn't advertise at all, um, and they showed no change whatsoever. And we we kind of assumed two things. One is that they were probably not reliant on advertising and 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 reliant on awareness in order to kind of sell their products and services, um, whereas the companies that cut their advertising probably did recognize and, and receive the benefits of that. So they actually, um, they, you know, they actually ended up doing doing much more poorly. But the interesting thing is then um, Beal and King did, a, did a, another study, a similar study in 1990. Um, and again, they looked at, um, you know, during a recession, coming out of the recession in the, in the late 90s, um, or late 80s, I mean, you know, whether people increase their ad spend by 20%, less than 20%, or decrease their ad spend. And they actually found the same thing, that those organizations that maintained or increased their spend, built market share post-recession. And kind of an interesting aside of that study was that, you know, simply staying in the market actually contributed to market share growth, you know, just by having your business survive. Yeah, it would seem like there's there's a survivor effect there um, that maybe and doesn't necessarily confound the results, but the, the, the piece that, that and we can get into the, all the reasoning behind spending more money on marketing in a, in a recession or a depression, but just the the, the notion that doing nothing as far as no change is more effective than cutting that budget is, is pretty powerful evidence, I would say. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess I guess the final bit um, of evidence that we thought was really, really interesting was, 
you know, it really came out of two studies. One was a, a Harvard Business Review study in, in 2010. And, you know, the, the other one uh, is just about increasing your what's called share of voice in the mm-hmm. marketplace. And basically, they both said that, you know, don't over index on any one solution when you're looking at uh, how you manage your cash in a recession. So, you know, some people might be tempted to just really reduce headcount and, and, you know, cut employees because it's a huge expense. Or others are like, well, let's get rid of the discretionary stuff like marketing. Um, but the Harvard uh, study showed really that a balanced and very thoughtful approach to actually spending more in some cases was was a smart bet. And, you know, and, and we'd include advertising in that. Um, but really the thing that is, is important is this idea of what's called um, share of voice or excess share of voice, which basically mm-hmm. means as everybody else around you is panicking and cutting their marketing spend, you know, and that usually in a recession, marketing spend goes down between 10 and 20 percent minimum. Um, that means there aren't that many voices in the marketplace speaking at the same time as you. So, you know, even doing the exact same thing as you did before, you're probably increasing the amount of people getting your message by about 10, 15, 17, 20 percent, uh, which means that you're building greater awareness. And again, you know, as and when the economy recovers and people begin spending again, you're going to be probably a lot more likely to be in their consideration set as a, as a provider than the people who kind of went to radio silence. And a lot of that seems like it's being, you know, top of mind. And like you said, in, in the consideration set. And that, that's really interesting kind of phenomena, that, that excess share of voice that simply by, you know, either maintaining or increasing the returns to that as far as the share of that voice in the marketplace are, are much greater as others are contracting. But within that, it seems like when you're in a crisis, and particularly a crisis like this, when, when sort of the act of doing business is is kind of got some strange political dynamics to it. I don't want to get too much into politics. But how do we sort of think about, you know, if you're going to spend more on marketing, if you're going to get your voice out there, what should that voice be? Um, and how should you be articulating it in a way that's thoughtful and appropriate to the moment? Right. I, I guess a, a good example would be if you just took sports programming right now. Um, and so let's talk about inventory first. Um, so from purely from an inventory perspective, you know, when things are going really well, Lots of people are trying to buy the time that might be available on a network, and naturally that drives up the cost of a TV spot, or it drives up the cost of a banner ad. For that matter, it drives up the cost of something like search engine marketing, where you're just paying per click because you're showing more people um, that ad, and there's more competition to get that space. Sure. So as that competition you know, wanes uh, or goes away for that money, the actual rates come down. Um, and when those rates come down, if you're still in the market and still spending the same amount within that, you're actually able to buy more inventory, which means you have the opportunity to you know, get your message out to more people. And so when we talk about that, that inventory being uh, you know, more available and less expensive, that's largely what we mean. When we talk about shifting in channels, probably a, a, a good example of that is that if you know, you are somebody who spends a lot of money in sports sponsorships and sports marketing uh, with, you know, say ESPN um, to shift away from that channel right now when they don't have the sort of schedule, uh, you know, uh, scheduled sports and live events mm-hmm. and so forth. And think about, well, you know, a lot of people are going to Netflix. 
well, maybe let's let's use connected TV. Let's take let's take these assets that we were going to run these TV spots that we were going to run in this channel, and let's put them in this other channel where we know there's more and more people coming. And so between those two things, that might actually also be a lot less expensive. So between those things, you can find ways to actually use the the, the media spend that you're that you have, uh, you know, just more efficiently and cost effectively. And why that's important is that there's a lot of evidence that, you know, it's not surprisingly, if you've got 10% market share and you have 12% share of that voice, that audience hearing you, the likelihood is you're going to increase your market share. And so what are you seeing with, um, you know, kind of in the the marketplace, whether whether it's companies that you work with or companies you're just observing I mean, I'm sure you've seen cases of people just battening down the hatches and not spending an excess penny on anything. I'm sure you're seeing some people pour the pour on the gas pedal and kind of anything in between. Talk about some 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 examples of of brands in the marketplace that you think are are rising to the moment and uh, taking advantage particularly well. You, you know, I think for us, it when you think about how to talk right now and how to market right now. Um, there's kind of three things that we're that we're talking about with clients. Um, one one thing is to be present, be yourself, and but then also be mindful. And as we think about that, we'll kind of start back with the first one. When you think about being present, you know people connect emotionally with brands. And if you thought about it as a friend, a good friend doesn't just disappear in bad times. Right. So in some ways, when you disappear. Or when you act in a way that you're not expected to act, um, that can amplify itself right now. And so, you know, that that idea of being present is really important. And kind of at a national level, um, I don't know if you've seen the ad for Apple, mm-hmm. uh, creativity goes on. To me, that's a, a really good example of being present. You know, they show people like Oprah and famous actors and musicians all sheltering at home, all using Apple products, um, mixed in with with ordinary people also using Apple products, all creating, all sort of improving themselves. And there's this sort of democratization that comes out of that, like how you feel about it, um, that I think is is really strong, you know, and you, you kind of have this kinship. And that, I think, is a really excellent example of being there, you know, at, in a real sort of advertising way um, from from kind of other aspects, you know, we have clients that are more uh, local and they're finding other ways to do it. Uh, Discovery Ski Area is encouraging people to donate ski goggles to healthcare workers through their newsletter. Um, Another client that we do some project work with, Vim and Vigor, makes compression socks. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, nurses are a really big, um, you know, a really big market for them. And so they've decided that for every pair of socks that gets purchased right now, they're going to you know, give a pair to um, uh, healthcare workers. And, you know, that's that sparked us to buy socks for our entire staff because we knew we could kind of give a little present to everybody internally, you know, to, to boost uh, our own kind of connection with each other, but also we'd be doing something externally. Um, we do work for JCCS, a, a regional accounting firm, and they're putting out great content around the Paycheck Protection Program that's really geared toward small businesses and medium-sized businesses, you know, uh, with on, on their email list. So there's there's lots of ways that you can be present, and I think you just have to find the right one. Um, and those are just some examples of that that first piece of it. 
what firms, what brands did you sort of expect to be present uh, that have disappeared or, you know, that sort of kind of didn't rise to the yeah. moment? Uh, I, I, there's a few things that I've, that I've seen. I don't, Kevin, you might have some thoughts on this too, um, that maybe you're less about disappearing, but more about kind of missing the boat a yeah, little right, bit, right. you know? Um, and I think uh, we've certainly seen that, um, like with airlines, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and it really gets amplified when it happens. Uh, you know, airlines coming out and saying, hey, we're not going to fill the middle seat. And then, you know, this just happened a week ago. You get people going on to those, uh, to those planes, and they're just full of people. And they're posting live, you know, it kind of goes to this idea of consumer power and how it can backfire on you. But um, they're posting live about, wow, this is unsafe. What are all these people doing here? I thought I was going to, you know, have some some uh, safe distancing. And and so, you know, I think that you're, you're seeing those kinds of missteps um, in terms of just kind of not being present. I, I can't think of one right off the top of my head. I don't know. Kevin, have you? Well, you I mean. Yeah, I, I think, you know, based on a personal experience, you know, um, I think uh, retail stores, you know, grocery stores could have done a much better job of telling people to practice st- social distancing and what they're doing to help make the food supply safe and, you know, what they're doing to stop people from hoarding. And, you know, um, my, my wife had gone into a shop and was just horrified at how people were behaving. And she, you know, spoke to a manager and the manager broke down and started crying. Yeah. She says, I know, I can't control it. I can't do anything about it, you know. So I think I think grocery stores um, could have done a lot better job of saying, look, we are really important. Our people are really important. So that's one. And, you know, the other misstep I saw, I, I just thought it was kind of tone deaf, was, you know, everybody knows Zoom has done really well. And they clearly had just enough critical mass to not have to from what I've seen, invest in a lot of advertising to get their product to fly off the shelf, so to speak. (laughs) The fact that it's free initially um, helps. But, you know, I saw another big technology company, you know, clearly keeping an eye on market share that their competitor had. And they kind of rushed to put out this ad about their kind of, you know, remote working video conferencing software and how it was helping scientists and healthcare workers. And, you know, I I thought "Mm, it's a bit early to be doing that, you know. Yeah. And even Zoom, I mean, I think they just sort of were, they have a great product and it was in the right place at the right moment. But at the same time, you know, and you can't expect a company to be 100% prepared for the sort of scale that Zoom encountered, but the kind of unclear language about data security and the concept of encryption and, and how they define, they think they define it differently than than the standard definition that uh, cybersecurity folks have accepted. So even that reveals that, you know, a company might be, you know, ha- have a product or service that's ready for the moment, but they might not have their messaging totally in line. And maybe that's a good way to transition to, yeah, it's one thing to be present, Sean, but, you know, within that, like, what's the right way to be present? How are you, how are you thinking mm-hmm. about that? Yeah. And, and I think, again, you just kind of extend that, that friend analogy a bit that, you know, a brand really is 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 based on a promise and you have an expectation of a of a brand in much the same way that you have an expect, expectation of a friend and so when they behave differently in the marketplace that can seem kind of odd too and be oddly uncomfortable um and so you know you you turn to a certain friend because they're funny and you know they're going to make you laugh even if maybe it's not a 
good period in your life, you know, other one, other, other brand, other friends you turn to, and it's just to get them to kind of sit down and cry with you, you know, and, and that's what you expect from them. And so I think that that second idea of, of being yourself is really important. And, you know, I've seen that actually both ways in the marketplace. I think um, the first one that really stuck out to me was just a couple of weeks ago that I saw a Burger King spot and it just cracked me up, you know, and, and they're, they're irreverent. They, they take chances. That's what their brand does. And the spot was about embracing your patriotic duty by just staying on your couch and letting us <laughs> deliver stuff to you, you right. know, and, and, and that's perfect. It's, it, it, it's totally about who they're talking to. Um, I mean, it was people saluting and, you know, from their couch and all kinds of things. And it was just really quite funny. And, and I, I honestly, I don't know how it did, but it felt, it felt like a breath of fresh air in some ways compared to what else I was seeing, you know, um, conversely, it's kind of funny. I saw, um, and again, these are not our clients or anything, but I, you know, I saw, um, just as a consumer, I saw a GoDaddy spot that was like super reverent and stuff. And I was like, who is this? You know, I just yeah. didn't know what, where that was coming from. And so, you know, I feel like you have to find a way to have it fit who you are. And, um, you know, just one more, I guess, maybe closer to home example, uh, state fund, Montana state fund who does workers' compensation insurance, you know, they're, they're actually addressing home office ergonomics in their social channels now. And so if you think about that, you know, a lot of the people that they would normally be helping to do things like stretches and making sure that they have their home op- their their office set up right and ergonomically and so forth, like within a work environment, that work environment's changed. It's not the same place that it was, you know. And so how do you control those kinds of hazards and even other little ones like tripping hazards and other things, you know, in a, you know, in this really dis- dispersed work environment. And so they've started to begin to tackle some of that uh, through some of their social and, and web channels. And, you know, we kind of jokingly talk about, we now have 26 locations as a company, you know, um, and and that's a big part of what you have to be able to, to account for and solve. You don't want those people getting injured or hurt. You want to help them, you know, be safe from COVID-19 and, and these other kind of normal hazards uh, of the workplace too. So Sean, there's a third piece here too in, in your thinking and that is, that is mindfulness. So how, how do you, and mindfulness is kind of a, uh, not necessarily a buzzy term, but you know, people are into meditation and mindfulness practice. How does that work for a brand? What does mindfulness mean for a brand? Yeah, I think we just, we, we think of it as be mindful of the moment, be mindful of, of what's happening around you and maybe in a way that it, you hadn't been before. You know, you could say be aware, but somehow mindful just feels a little bit more uh, thoughtful about, sure. about the situation. And, and, that's, and that was why that, that choice of words. And I think it's, it's doing that a lot. Like, it's not just that you do it once and then you put something out and there we go. I guess that's good. It's, it's having those ongoing checks of, am I saying the right thing? And, you know, I can give you a, a really good example. Um, we, uh, one of our clients is Deloitte. And, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, we completed a script and we were working through a first cut of a video for them. And um, that was a few weeks ago. And by the time we kind of got it closer to the finish stage, um, really just a couple weeks later, we looked at it and and 
looked around us and we're like, gosh, some of these scenes just don't feel right. And it wasn't something we shot. It was, you know, based off using stock and motion graphics, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we're like, it was just little things like that person should maybe have a mask or that those people are too close to each other, you know, within, within that, that conference room. And, and so we went back and we tweaked the script and we placed those shots and, and the tone feels right, you know, now. And, and so it's just even those little details of, of how you think about what you're saying, and what you're putting out there um, it can just be really important because I think we're maybe hypersensitive to things around us that we haven't been before as consumers. And you have to be that way as a brand, too. Yeah, I would add to that. I think it's really easy for people to want to jump on the kind of feel good bandwagon or show empathy. And not that there's anything wrong with that because it comes from a good place. But, you know, within a couple weeks of, of, you know, the seriousness of COVID-19 becoming apparent, you know, suddenly every brand was out saying, oh, we're in it together. And, you know, all these kind of buzzwords came out. And, you know, it, on, the, on the one hand, like I said, I think it came from a good place, but it also felt a little bit like you could put your hand over the logo and, you know, have no idea who was saying what. So, you know, I think mindfulness has to do with really think about the moment and think about who you are as a brand and what the moment means to you and your customers and your ecosystem as opposed to, oh, we need to say something. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. This is University of Montana President Seth Bodner, and you're listening to A New Angle. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Kevin, because um, I had just seen uh, a couple different beer spots, and, um, and one is from Budweiser. And these are a little bit older examples. They were kind of near the beginning of the shutdown. Um, but the, the one from Budweiser really felt like it was trying, you know, like it was it was like purposefully, I guess, just trying to be a part of the story. Um, and and it was comparing essential workers to uh, sports by, you know, talking about warriors and and all these different, uh, you know, mascots and so forth and reds and blues and talking about this buds for you. And these are the real heroes, that, that sort of thing. And, you know, conversely Guinness comes out at the same time and implores people to stay at home and enjoy a pint on St. Patrick's day instead of going to a parade, make your own corned beef. Cause what this is really about, you know, is, is friends. It's about people getting together, find your way to do that and share a pint, you know, and like that feels like that's, in their wheelhouse, you know, that's staying in your lane and, 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 and being who you are and being mindful of how that reflects on what's happening in the world. And, and I think that's a really a good example of two big brands. One, I think, reaching a little bit and maybe even feels more so that way now. And one staying a little closer to the core of what it means, you know, to, to enjoy each other in a different way. So I don't want to necessarily put you two on the spot and pull back the curtain um, too much on on how you make the magic happen. But how do you, you know, if you were an advisor to Bud or you were an advisor to Guinness, how how do you help them get to that wisdom? I mean, because because one of the things we struggle with in class sometimes, in branding class, marketing class in general, when you see a brand messaging done well. It's sort of like watching Michael Jordan play basketball. It kind of looks effortless. 
Yet that effortlessness sort of belies the volume of work and thought and repetition that goes into landing on that message that has the right mix of being present, of being you, and being mindful. Um, can you talk about like how you how you help a brand get there, how you help a person get there, how you help people sort of find this voice? Well, you'll probably get some very different responses from both Sean and myself because we sort of come from different <laughs> worlds. Yeah, um, uh, but um, yeah, so a couple angles. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, I bring a couple tools that I use all the time. Um, one is a beginner's mindset. Don't think you know everything. Don't think you've done it before. Don't think that there's some magic solution. You know, the blank sheet of paper can be a really great thing because, you know, you look at every moment, every opportunity with a client as something, okay, we can. We don't have to do it the way we did it last time. And that's where I think you see bad creative and bad advertising. It, it becomes part of a machine because it worked in a different situation. So that, that's one. Um, I think the second thing that's really important is, you know, all that effortless advertising. I guarantee you there were fierce arguments in the creative bullpen. <laughs> um, you've got to have people on your team who challenge you as much as they irritate the hell out of you. Um, oh, and yeah. they call your, call your statements. You know, I think I guess the third thing I would say before um, we hand over to Sean is, you know, understand your brand. Um, you know, you wonder why brands spend all this money and time on vision, mission, values, what's their purpose, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, these are the times when you really dust those off if they've got a bit dusty, maybe, but really think right. about what what's right for us. You know, who are we? Um, because that will shine through as opposed to if you're trying to do something else. And it's got to be, you know, for some of these businesses that are just sort of kicking and screaming to survive, to, to maintain the amount of cash they need to make payroll or, you know, it's got to be really hard to um, kind of free up the mind space to be able to have that kind of deep introspective thinking, particularly if, you know, if, if, you've, if you've lost sight of it or like you said, it's, it's kind of dusty and on the shelf. Sean, talk about your process a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think actually my process interestingly enough, starts right where Kevin kind of left off, and that is know the brand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and partly I think uh, that's the brand itself. It's partly the people that you're working with to do those ads and making sure that you do go back and say, okay, this is, this is who we are. How does that brand behave? Um, how did it behave in a situation a year and a half ago that might not have been quite as acute, but still, you know, was maybe a moment where we, you know, stumbled or we had to recover in some way. Um, I feel like that's really important. It's really important probably to look at the pieces of it and decide what makes the most sense now. And so, you know, like with any, any given brand strategy or, or brand platform, you know, you're going to have uh, different message pillars, different things that you're looking at and saying, okay, uh, you know, we, we want to talk about being super innovative or we want to talk about being really reliable or our voice is very human, you know, things like that. And, and there are going to be parts of that, that you're going to look at and they're going to naturally tell you accentuate that, you know, right now we want to be more human, right? We, we don't, this isn't about talking about rapid innovation to change the world necessarily in that kind of big way. It's, it's how do we, how do we speak 
how do we use that part of our brand? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we use our longevity to help support that people can be confident in us? And so it's, I think it's understanding that um, first because you kind of have to understand yourself. Um, you know, for some clients, I think the other part of this is just understanding customers in a way that maybe, well, even a few years ago, you couldn't, you know? And so we see a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, bigger companies in particular um, tapping real-time customer data in lots of different ways. It can be social sensing where they're paying attention to what's happening on social channels and how people are talking about issues, um, what's really uh, taking, you know, kind of the lead role in their lives and what's not, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it can be your own customer data, uh, you know, what's happening with your customer service department versus what's happening um, in how people are buying things. What kinds of items are they buying now versus what they were buying before? Um, all of that can cue you into how your brand should behave. Um, you know, kind of uh, a good, maybe, I guess, not terribly specific example, because it's not a client of ours, but, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a mortgage lender, you kind of know what's going on in your customer's world. Mm-hmm. You probably have some level of access to their search history. Um, you know that they've made attempts with you to restructure a loan. You know what their rate is currently. You know their payment history. You know where they work, how they get paid. I mean, you know a lot of this stuff. And so you're probably, when you have an ER nurse that's working 20-hour shifts, they're probably not missing a house payment for the same reason as an orthopedic surgical nurse who's been furloughed. You know, and and in some ways, at, at certain levels, it's kind of on uh, a brand to understand that relationship um, and not necessarily to speak to both of those uh, customers in the same way. The tone, the timing, um, whether you retarget them, whether you turn ads on and off, what kind of offers you send them, all of those things might vary based off of what you now know that you couldn't know before, you know, and so... I think that's getting pretty pretty granular in terms of the service, but you can see the like the level of of uh, of connection that you can have, and that brands really um, are starting to piece together uh, through through data, and that can actually give you a pretty big leg up, and and you can definitely see um, brands that that have that are maybe doing a better job. And I think we probably know even within our own, you know, email lists, people that are sending us the right kinds of messages at this time, the ones that feel like they're, they're striking, you know, the right chord. You know, and, and thinking about that example, Sean, I mean, it's, it's, it's very customer centric in that the better understanding of your customer, the better you can sort of shape your product to, to their immediate needs and how those needs might be unique in this moment. But but also thinking about how that level of agility in a brand and its customer interface, um, that requires a certain internal culture and a certain internal way of operating. Um, and, and I would guess like for, for the best brands, like the brand is, 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 is as internal as it is external. You know, Kevin, when you're working with brands and developing strategy, how, how does this sort of... Um, finding your voice for this moment, both 
operationalize outside the brand and inside the brand? Yeah, well, I'm a huge believer in the fact that, you know, great brands are always built and delivered from the inside out. Um, I spent the first half of my career in, you know, employee engagement and organizational development, that sort of thing. And, you know, what your brand is, is it's two sides of a coin, which is what you're saying externally and then what you're doing uh, in order to deliver on that uh, internally at the business. So I think you're absolutely right that understanding the effect that changes are having on your employee population, you know, being very clear, unequivocal in how you communicate, being empathetic in how you communicate is really, really important. Because, you know, at this at this stage, for most businesses, you know, those people who are fortunate enough to have not been impacted in terms of their employment, you know, they're still um, feeling disconnected from their co-workers. They're feeling scared about losing their jobs. They're wondering, you know, is the business making enough money for, you know, for me to keep my job in the next six months? And, um, you know, my advice is always communicate more, not less. You know, to, to Sean's point, go back to your, your brand and who you are as an organization, whether you've got three employees or 300,000. Uh, and, and in you know, in the absence of, um, in, in, you know, in the absence of communications, people will make up their own stories. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really important to keep that, that conversation and dialogue going, you know, particularly now where people are losing that kind of cultural glue the the water cooler conversations or you know i was talking to our president about i don't real i didn't realize how much i've managed by walking around um and i can't do that you know so i've been kind of crippled for a couple of weeks and figuring out oh you know what you know what i actually have new ways of, of interacting with people which is yeah we're, we're all zooming around <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we're all zooming around instead of walking around right yeah yeah, and I just did it. You know, I, I just got on Zoom or got on Google Hangouts. You know, they're all interchangeable now, right? You know, and just checked in on, on a couple of my team members. And, you know, I think, yeah, so I think one is be really, really clear on, you know, how you're communicating with your people and supporting them on on navigating this time so that they can, one, be safe and productive, and two, deliver on whatever that promise is you're making to your marketplace. Yeah, and- I was just going to add one one quick thing to that. You know that that transparently pushes your brand to the external audience too. Mm-hmm. You know, your customers feel that or see it sometimes very directly. You know, I mean, you have co- you have companies like Patagonia coming out and saying when they were and REI actually for that matter um, saying they were not going to furlough people or lay people off when they closed down uh, some of their stores temporarily and. And that's what I expect from them. You know, I, I expect that. Now, there may be a point in time where that's not realistic anymore, but that reinforces to me that they're the company I thought they were. Um, and they didn't make a big fancy announcement about it. It just kind of percolated out right. and, and you found out about it. Um, but I think that's it, how you treat your people translates that brand externally too. There's an example of someone who I think really, really damaged their personal brand and the brand of one of their businesses, which is Richard Branson and Virgin. Um, You know, so when air travel got hit really hard, clearly, uh, he basically just said to all the Virgin Atlantic employees, I want you all to take a furlough. Thank you very much um, until we get back on track. And that, you know, for people who know Richard Branson and his personal brand, it just felt completely 180 degrees from what you would have expected from him. 
Um, you know, and I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. And, you know, I'm sure there are financial considerations that are not insignificant. But that, you know, that was an example of somebody really, really who used to be the champion of, you know, start with your employees going completely, you know, back on, on what they promised. And that kind of gets to the power of like standing apart, right? Richard Branson, Virgin, they stood apart in many ways. Like when you thought of Virgin, Virgin, Virgin Atlantic, I don't know what the, what the proper brand name is right now, but you had this distinct conception of, of something that's different. It's a different type of airline. It's a different type of company. It's a different type of CEO. And then when, when, well, yeah, he sort of reveals some true color of a sort and brings him back to the fold of just, you know, any old corporate businessman. How are you thinking about this notion of standing apart when we're thinking about these opportunities to, to distinguish yourself uh, in this communications environment? I think the real way to stand apart right now is, is really look at, look at how this kind of new world we live in and how technology helps you do things uh, differently and hopefully better. I don't think it's about lifting and shifting what you used to do and trying to make it work online. You know, the trends are showing that, you know, what are, what are the, what are the brands, what are the kind of products and services that are thriving? Well, one of them, one of the trends is that, you know, those brands that are helping you navigate missing out on life's moments, you know, like the, the virtual prom, um, I think that teen zoom did or, um, commencement exercises, you know, done, done virtually or, um, socially distanced weddings, you know, they, they, the wedding comes to you, those sorts of things. I think, you know, that, you know, that's kind of replicating something and bringing it to you. Um, but I also think thinking differently about how, how technology and how our use of technology and how we relate to other people can actually be used, you know, in a pure marketing sense to mm -hmm. get you closer and faster to the people you want to be speaking to. Uh, you know, one of the projects we're working on right now with a client is, you know, big technology organization um, that that, you know, typically works on big trade shows, you know, goes to big, big tech events. And, you know, people walk up to the booth and talk to their salespeople and that's how they get leads. And, you know, now technology probably gives them an opportunity to very quickly create intimate, valuable, interesting conversations with people who are probably pre-qualified more so than you can do than some person who's got time to walk up to you in a booth. So, you know, I think we're seeing brands do more of that. And I think that's, um, that's going to continue. Sean, do you have a follow-up thought there? Uh, yeah, you know, I guess uh, there's a, a couple different pieces to it. And Kevin went into, um, into the, the sort of changing how you think side of it. I also feel like another way to, to stand apart is to look at what's being said out there and try not to say the same thing. <laughs> I know mm -hmm. it sounds like painfully obvious and maybe it is. Um, but you know, I, I just look at your inbox, look at what you're getting in ads and you're going to see a lot of uncertainty and unprecedented and, you know, navigating and, these words that have now taken on this other kind of level of meaning and how can you start to break past that sort of jargon and speak to, uh, you know, speak to it in a way that that's authentic to you and have people walk away thinking, oh, wow, man, during this time of uncertainty, I really want to be with them without having to tell them that, you know, and I think that's a really hard thing to do. 
Um, but it feels to me like um, that's, a, that's certainly a goal, uh, you know, alongside this idea of just opening up these other options that you might have, you know, like Kevin was talking about, um, about trade shows and, and moving away from having all this day-to-day, or not day-to-day, but having, talking about trade shows and, and trying to replace this in-person kind of connection um, and actually, I yesterday was talking to a client on the phone who, interestingly enough, was looking at it as a, a bit of a of an opportunity hmm. um, because there have been so many people who've adopted the idea that virtual is good, virtual is okay, you can get more out of virtual than we thought we could, that now rather than having to fly for two days to get across the country and back to go for a two-hour, you know, meeting or brainstorm session or whatever, it's acceptable to do that. Like we're doing this, you know, like this virtual idea, it's acceptable in a lot of cases. And, and that actually gives clients maybe access to people that they wouldn't have necessarily had access to before within an organization. Um, you know, you kind of can put some of your best people forward by using their time more efficiently in this way. Um, and, and, and sort of spread that brand, um, which I thought was a, a really insightful way to think about how things are changing. You know, McKinsey came out with a really interesting article this morning, um, kind of, kind of related to what Sean was just talking about, which is sometimes the technology is really, really useful and it is democratized, but, you know, other times it can, it can head in another direction, which is, you know, despite the fact that it feels like um, everybody can have access to this stuff and use this stuff, it's not always the case. And, you know, technology should and could be acting as a great leveler in terms of opportunity, you know, and, and spreading the, the net of, of who you can engage and, and, mm-hmm. and speak with. Um, but, you know, I, I read a statistic in this article, which is, you know, 27% of businesses have put their diversity and inclusiveness uh, initiatives on hold during the virus. And I just think you should be doing exactly the opposite. It's like, what a great opportunity to, you know, start bringing people in and saying, you know what, we can now engage and connect with so many more people on so many different levels. So, you know, and and they kind of came to the same conclusion, which is like, DNI drives growth. It, it it drives innovation. It drives all these great th- things that we want. Why on earth would you be cutting it? Yeah, that seems like such a not only tone deaf, but also just failure to see opportunity when it's staring you in the face. I mean, this this one of the big kind of takeaways of this whole coronavirus experience to me is that whatever forces were at play before are just being ex- being accelerated. And that manifests in all kinds of dimensions of equality. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes me think also, like, within your own organization, I mean, this has been tremendously disruptive. You all have have had a vibrant kind of office culture, yet you're in professional services, and that's work that, you know, can adapt to working at home or distributed offices or whatever, pretty smoothly relative to other operations. What have you learned about your own organization through this, uh, through this process? Um, yeah, it, it is funny. It's, um, you know, I think the first thing that I would say that I personally have learned is how 
resilient people are individually within our organization mm. uh, to be able to get up and 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 get things that kind of up and running and moving forward within their own worlds. And, you know, I have a ton of respect. I mean, it's like in some ways I have it really simple. You know, I don't have I don't have kids. <laughs> um, and so I don't, I'm not trying to homeschool people at the same time I'm trying to do you know, my job and I'm not sharing my, uh, my new office space with, you know, a bunch of other people. And, and we certainly have, um, employees who are, you know, and so I think that's the first thing that I saw is that just this kind of, okay, let's, let's make this happen, you know, and as a company, we supported that, you know, we, 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 we allowed for people to have, uh, money to spend on their home offices we help make sure that they had the right kind of technology and get it up and running and connect. Uh, we built in uh, some weekly touch base kinds of meetings, which have become quite fun, actually, where we all zoom in and, and share, uh, you know, things that have happened to us during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, you know, like Kevin was talking about, a lot of our uh, more management level people have been really specific about trying to reach out to their team members on a regular basis. You know, and and so for all of those reasons, I think we've been able to pretty efficiently uh, move into uh, a work these work from home scenarios uh, to the point that you know we're probably going to cut back on our overall footprint in terms of office space and allow more of this remote work, uh, but you know also with having places where people can come together as teams and work face to face. I don't, I don't think in our business that that's ever, uh, well, I shouldn't say ever, but probably not soon going to go away. I have a feeling that, uh, that's really important. It's an important part of, uh, of our connection with each other. And so we want to, we want to do that. Um, but you know, that, that model is going to look a little bit different. Um, and it's going to be, uh, time to when you need that kind of face to face and what situations are going on in your life. And in some ways it's kind of, the promise of technology and the future of work is is coming together uh, in a way that that we maybe hadn't thought it was going to quite this fast, um, and and you know we're we're certainly embracing that as a company. You know, it's it's interesting. The only thing I would add to that is, um, in a in a very tactical, operational, day to day way, how the technology has required us to, you know, add some texture and nuance to how we communicate. We, we have very detail-oriented deliverables for clients that have to be right, and they move very quickly, and they have a lot of people touching them as they move through from, you know, strategic messaging to creative concept to design to, you know, getting them put into a digital format to getting them put out there, you know, into the world. So all kinds of processes that, um, require a lot of a lot of collaboration, and to me, what's interesting is you know we've had a couple hiccups um, w- that we've learned from that you know the kind of unspoken body language, the 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 things that communicate so much sometimes get lost online, uh, mm-hmm. and you know finding ways to make sure you, you you know for me in particular, but you know being really clear and really specific because you know. If we have five people going onto a thread on Basecamp, you know, which is something we use a lot, it can get really confusing really fast. And I'm sure all organizations that are doing this are dealing with this. It's like, 
you know, all of a sudden we're kind of finding our way through this new way of managing a project online. And it's, it's, it's challenging, but, but it's, it's actually quite interesting to be a part of. Yeah. Kind of learning so much as we go, not only about our people, but about our, our processes and sort of what you need to create what you were able to create before. And then how, you know, your, the current environment maybe allows you to create in, in, in new ways or create new things that you hadn't considered before. Okay, so it occurs to me over the course of this conversation that, you know, the two of you and Partners in, partners Creative in general, you're kind of living the ideas that you uh, put forth in, in this new piece of thought leadership, making the case for your brand, especially now. If folks out there listening want to learn more about your work at Partners and, and maybe get access to some of the ideas that you're articulating here today and in this deck, where, where would you direct them? So, um, you know, you can read the deck, you can get it, download it, um, and you can also access, I think just as importantly, the research that supports it. So, you know, there's a lot of great thinking within that too uh, that we didn't specifically draw into our deck. Mm -hmm. um, and you can get all of that at www.partnerscreative.com slash making the case. And that's all one word, no spaces or dashes or any of that kind of thing. Um, so partnerscreative.com slash making the case. And uh, you can find that kind of uh, all of this thoughtware uh, there. And then you can also from there check out our website if you want to see some of the work we've done. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks to the two of you for, for joining us today. I look forward to our, our next uh, meeting um, in person. And yeah, just always fun to geek out on all things brand with uh, two of my favorite people in the business. Happy trails. Thanks a lot, Justin. We appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps our awesome interns, Aspen Runkel and Max Gibson, Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO for the tunes, and finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time. <laughs>